1: Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications.
0: Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we're starting off by meeting Tina Zukowski. She is the Director of Revenue Cycle at the Wright Center for Community Health. She's also the President of Northeastern Pennsylvania AAHAM. That's the leading professional organization for healthcare care executives, managers, and supervisors of patient financial services and Revenue Cycle. Tina is going to tell us about AHAM, how you can get involved, and exactly some of the people that you may not even know belong to the organization the next time you visit the doctor's office. (laughs) Tina, we're going to talk today about the organization that you are involved with, and you mentioned you're from the Wright Center, so what do you do there first?
2: I am the Director of Revenue Cycle at the Wright Center for Community Health.
0: Sounds like money. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's involved in the money aspect. Okay. Well, then, what is the organization that you're here to tell us about today? The organization is Aham. It's a local
2: chapter here in Scranton and wilkes And the organization primarily focuses on revenue cycle in the hospital and physician practice setting.
0: And what does it stand for?
2: The American Association of Healthcare Administrative Management.
0: So where would we find you, and or people who would belong to this organization in our daily life?
2: We have a website. It's www.nepaaham.org, and you can find information about our chapter. You can find links to the national chapter and all information about what services we provide, membership, certification, Uh, our educational sessions as well.
0: So would the people that are involved in, is it AHIM? Yes. AHIM, okay. Um, People who are involved in AHIM, would they work in doctor's offices, hospitals? um, Give us a little bit of a background there, because I think for a lot of people, this may be something new. Sure.
2: So it would be anybody who works in a hospital setting or in physician practice, who would be working in a front desk, uh, registration, admissions, billing, collections, accounts receivable. Um, anybody who does contract negotiations, anything, anyone who does anything regarding reimbursement.
0: So when they're um, a bo- when they belong to the chapter, then I just want to give people a little bit more of a uh, understanding of exactly what your organization does. So anybody who would become a member of that would be entitled or would be able to what go for more training be able to get more information
2: yes and we provide in our educational sessions we have different speakers who come and talk about the current topics that are affecting everybody not only in the hospital setting but also in the physician practice setting and those topics can range from reimbursement to coding to new codes to changes uh, given from CMS about what's coming and how we have to prepare for these changes, it helps us to get ready for uh, any type of impact that may have.
0: So it's more of a national. Yes, it is. And where where was all this base then?
2: So Aham was actually it's in the or the national chapter is in Fairfax, Virginia, and it actually uh, began in 1968. We're actually celebrating 50 years this year, and it all started there. And um, they, national kind of sets the the standards and they, they have webinars and they have um, various certifications that you can get to help you, to help those folks in the revenue cycle world uh, be able to do their jobs efficiently and keep them in tune to what's happening nationally in healthcare.
0: Tina, tell us who would be involved um and i think probably one of the people that we might see as we walk into a doctor's office or a hospital there's somebody who's sitting at the front desk it's the first face hopefully a smiling one that you deal with all the time would that be a person that they would be able to say belongs to this organization
2: absolutely and actually that front desk person is actually the first person that starts the revenue cycle process. So they need the knowledge and the expertise because if it if, if there's a problem at the front desk, it follows through the entire revenue cycle, which can lead to delay in payment denials. So yes, someone at the front desk would definitely benefit from this because at our educational sessions, when we have payers come in such as Geisinger, Highmark, PA Medicaid they talk about the insurances and changes in plans and that's extremely important for front desk staff to be aware of in order to register the patients properly and to also make sure that claims are sent correctly so that there's not a problem or a denial on the back end and causing rework
0: when someone then does come in to the office and the first thing they say is do you have your insurance card has anything changed with your insurance card I always think "Oh, they're just asking me that because they're being polite but that's not necessarily the case then no it's not
2: and Patients sometimes don't realize that we have to ask the question because sometimes the cards change. Sometimes the insurance numbers change. Patients may not be aware, if, and they may get a card and throw it out and not know that it, they need it or they need to do something with it. So it's important that for every visit that the patients bring their cards and that, that the front desk staff validates their eligibility. That's what's key because, again, if that's not right, that starts the whole process often correctly.
0: And when we're talking about cards and we're talking about numbers, from what I understand, that has become very important in the world of Medicare because Medicare cards have been changing. Is that correct? That's correct. And the numbers is completely
2: different um, in order to protect the patient. In the past, it was their social security number or their spouses. And with a different letter at the end, depending on uh, the status of their Medicare. So yes, that's a complete change and we need those new cards in order to process the, uh, in order to register the patient and process their claim. So yes, that was a major overhaul that Medicare has done this past year.
0: When we're also talking about, again, I, I like the idea of starting at the front desk because everybody sees the front desk, everybody knows who's there, but let's go back a a little bit more now. So now we go into a doctor's office and we might run into the nurse or the PA. Are they also someone who's involved in your organization?
2: No, actually they wouldn't be. It would only pertain to the front desk staff, a practice manager, a billing manager. uh, It could be a director. It could be a supervisor in the revenue cycle area
0: even though um, they would be the people in the back that would be then going ahead and uh, being able to um, schedule any kind of another appointment, uh, procedure. So everybody has to kind of work together. I can see where everybody's getting all mixed up here now.
2: Yes, it is. And right now, that's the way most offices are structured, where it's front desk, or they may even have... Uh, a, a little department where they check for prior auths. they you may even have their own call center that checks and validates insurances. So the front desk is kind of kept separate from any of the clinical aspects of the of the practice. The front desk is really responsible for the insurance verification and eligibility.
0: So what happens when you go to an ER?
2: So the same process would happen in the emergency room when you're being registered. The person at the at the admissions desk there would be taking your insurance information and they should be validating it through websites that are available to do so.
0: And again, it's it's all important to have the insurance card. Absolutely. I guess if the general public out there is listening. And they're thinking, well, you know, I have a lot of questions about these things. Again, does your organization prepare the people at the front desk and the first line of defense in order to uh, get their questions answered?
2: Yes, they do. We do, and it's having these educational sessions and also the networking and being and having the resources with to the payers. Again, Geisinger, Highmark, Medicare. PA Medicaid, having the, the resources to go and ask questions and have representatives that we can reach out to if we have a question or if there's something that we don't know, we're able to reach out to them and get the information, if it's something out of the ordinary or whichever. So the networking is really important and valuable for anyone in the revenue cycle world.
0: When uh, we were talking a little bit ago, you had mentioned the fact that you were based in, or the organization, the, the national organization is based in Virginia. So they must deal with so many different states because one thing can be happening here in Pennsylvania. You go to New York, there's something different. You go here, there's something different. So how do they put all that together and able to get the questions answered here? Do they come locally
2: locally? Um, yes, there are several national uh, board members that would come and speak at our local chapters. But um, one thing I do want to mention is that AHM has 32 chapters across the United States. And you're right, each state is completely different. Each state has their own rules. So what happens is they look to the local chapters to, for feedback as to what's going on and how they can help us nationally, can help us, Deal with the issues we're encountering locally. Um, one thing that uh, is really important that we do is we lobby. And in the spring, we actually, Ahem actually has Legislative Day, which is a really exciting day where we as an organization, all the local chapters and members, are invited to go to Washington. Oh. And there's various topics that we lobby on. Um, most recently was the uh, TCPA, and, okay, yeah, TCPA had it right.
0: Okay, go ahead.
2: The TCPA Act, which is the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, and also uh, we lobbied this past year on the 340B drug pricing. So it's very exciting that we're able to go to Washington and meet with our our state representatives and have sit-down meetings with them and discussions about these important issues that are affecting us
0: locally. So even though it's a a national drug pricing, for Mm -hmm. instance, Mm -hmm. you're able to get input from so many other places. It always fascinates me that, again, we go back to the idea of coming into a doctor's office and there is the same receptionist that we've seen, uh, and maybe that's not even the correct title, maybe it's administrative office manager now or whatever, but you come in and it's the same friendly face, and we don't realize as consumers, the information that this person is still learning and is still gleaning from organizations like yours, because we all think, again, we're in that local bubble. So what happens when someone belongs like this person that we see all the time at the doctor's office? When they go to one of your meetings, whether it's a local meeting, whether it's a chapter meeting, um, do they learn? Do they have different kind of educational programs?
2: Yes. So when they at one of our educational sessions, what will happen is we have speakers that, again, that come from Geisinger Health Plan, from Aetna Better Health, from PA Medicaid From Medicare, and the presenters will actually provide us with those updates that are necessary to do our jobs every day. So it's very important, and it's very important, I believe, to have people be active who are in revenue cycle to join the chapter because. with healthcare changing daily, it actually changes by the minute anymore. Mm-hmm. It's so important to stay on top of these changes because CMS is also changing things rapidly.
0: What's CMS? You've mentioned that a couple times now.
2: Centers for Medicare and Medicaid.
0: Oh.
2: And they're the driving force of the rules for Medicare.
0: Oh, okay. So they're, yeah, they're the ones that everybody seems to uh, <laughs> have something to say about at some point in time. Now, you mentioned getting involved in your local chapter. Do you have an area that you cover? Is it just Scranton, Wilkes-Barre?
2: It's Scranton, Wilkes-Barre and any of the surrounding areas. We actually have members that travel from as far as Harrisburg to from to Philadelphia. New Jersey. It just depends on the topics we have and what drives them to come into our local chapter.
0: And you have an event coming up?
2: We do, uh, December 7th at the Woodlands, and it's going to be very exciting. Um, We do have, again, payers coming to talk, and we also have a motivational speaker, Matt Jones, who is going to talk to us about motivating leaders in business and life. And um, I actually had the opportunity to see his presentation at a HFMH Uh, educational session. And it's phenomenal. So I'm looking forward to that again.
0: So what would someone uh, have happen when they get to this particular event? Do they go in? Is there a dinner? Is there mingling? Is there...
2: Definitely a lot of networking. So that's (laughs) very important. Um, Yes, they'll come in, they'll um, register and sit down. And we usually start around nine o'clock and the presenters will... um, We'll introduce them and uh, start the uh, the learning process and the networking.
0: And how would someone find out about this if they would like to now get involved or tell someone they know, hey, maybe you should get involved? We're, uh, our
2: website would be v- uh, very helpful. And also we have a Facebook page where I've been listing all of our events and upcoming events. And
0: upcoming. what are they?
2: So we... Um, the December 7th, and we have three coming up for next year. And also, I just posted most recently regarding Legislative Day for 2019 uh, in Washington, D.C. And we also have an ANI, it's the Annual National Institute, which is a great opportunity that anyone in Revenue Cycle who belongs to AHAM should go because it's a venue where all of the vendors in the Revenue Cycle business come. And it's an opportunity to look at what is going on, what are the new softwares. What are what's new going around the entire country in revenue cycle from
0: collections
2: to billing? It's amazing, and this year it's in Las Vegas. Oh, so
0: <laughs> big draw there, yes, <laughs> major draw there. What are the uh, what's the website and the Facebook information as far as finding you?
2: So the website would be www.nepa.com dot And it's NEPA AHAM on Facebook.
0: Okay. When we're talking about um, all these different things again, and, and we've been using the um, example of being in the uh, office, mm-hmm. the office setting, as far as uh, that's concerned, we talk about the um, different benefits of the membership and we're in the office setting. So Someone wants to get involved. You mentioned the um, this part of it as far as networking, which is very important. What other things? Uh, I know we talked a little bit briefly about uh, you know learning all these different things, but how does that happen? So
2: there are many benefits to the Aham membership, including educational opportunities that will strengthen and improve your knowledge and skills in the role that you have. Certification. There are several certifications that Aham offers, and they're nationally recognized certification programs that will give you the competitive edge in your career. Also, there's publications that they post on the website that are great reference for things that are happening. The attending the uh, legislative day in Washington is also very important as part of being a member of Aham. Very exciting, and I think it's a great opportunity that any everybody should at least go once to experience being in Washington, being in your local representative's office, and being able to talk about the issues that are affecting you locally. Very exciting, and I think everybody should try it. It's it's a great opportunity. That's a whole show in itself. <laughs> it is, it is, and I I I, I personally um, have done it several times, and I love I love it. it. You just get very excited to be there and being able to. Know that you're adding value,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and again, the local chapter involvement, opportunities with your peer networking, there's cutting edge training, educational programs, and obviously the, it's leadership development as well. And um, they offer other discount programs too. Being part of, of Aham, so there's many things, many membership uh, uh, opportunities that can really help you grow professionally, and um, of course knowledge-wise, mm-hmm. and to stay what current to what's happening in healthcare.
0: You have uh, a lot of passion for what you're talking about. I do. And I uh, I can tell that in just the discussion that we've had today. If someone was thinking, and I, I always think about young people when they're making those career choices and the decisions mm-hmm. to make, and i probably many years ago. Well, you said this is what, 50 years? 50 years. 50 years. So the organization has been there. Um, Would you say that the benefit from joining something like this, especially for someone who might just be starting out, is immeasurable?
2: Absolutely. And I personally don't know how I would do my job every day without being part of this organization and having the networking opportunity and knowing who I can call and just say, hey, I'm having this problem. Are you having this problem? How can we fix this? What's going on? It's so important. We really need this, especially the way healthcare is changing every day.
0: That was going to be my next question. Healthcare is changing every day. And organizations like this are able to help people in the offices and and people that we wouldn't, we always think of the doctors and the nurses. but the people that are involved in all of the revenue aspect are the ones who uh, can also get a lot of the heat.
2: That's correct.
0: So when when we talk when we talk about something like that, again, going back to just people that we meet every day in an office, you mentioned the benefits. Can you just run down once again? Why? Because I I can't imagine from hearing what you've been saying that there would be people who have never heard of the organization, Mm -hmm. who have no idea about getting involved. So I'm going to give you the microphone, Tina, and you're going to be the very, I think, very wonderful spokesperson to get everybody and say, come on, give us a call, check out our information.
2: Well, I think one thing to keep in mind is that with revenue cycle, revenue cycle is the nucleus of any organization, whether it's the hospital or a physician practice. So if anything goes wrong in that revenue cycle process, it impacts that organization, whether it's hospital or physician practice, financially. So it's so important for anyone who is in, in the front line, in billing, in collections, in AR, maybe whoever does contracting, to be part of this organization to be able to stay in tune to what's changing, to be able to do your job most efficiently and effectively. And again, the certifications, the, inform- the wealth of information that AHAM has, and the connections, not only locally, but nationally, being able to lobby, being able to go to the ANI and see what's out there that we may not see here locally. Again, softwares. There's millions of different softwares that can help you do your job much better than what we see locally that are out there that we won't see or are familiar with here. So the benefits just outweigh everything because it AHAM will help you as an individual grow in your career and provide you the knowledge and expertise you need to do not only for yourself but for the organization that you work for.
0: And again, how do they find you?
2: They can find us on our website. It's www.nepaaham.org or check out our Facebook page, NEPA AHAM. And on our website there's contact information so you can feel free to reach out whether it's to myself or to anyone on my board and um, we're happy to answer any questions
0: Thanks again to Tina Zukoski for joining us today on Special Edition. A reminder, you can find out more by visiting the website nepaaham.org or the NEPA AAHAM Facebook page. Now don't go away. More Special Edition to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. Dr. David Palmeter is a psychologist and also a professor at Marywood University. He talks about depression that sometimes means not such happy holidays for some. Dr. David Palmeter, give us a little idea of your background. Now, you're involved right now at Marywood University.
1: Yeah, I'm a professor of psychology at Marywood University. I've been there 20 years, and I also have a private practice in Clark Summit.
0: And when you say private practice, it is in psychology. It's in
1: clinical psychology, yes.
0: Anything in particular that you are that you focus on, either at school or in your private practice?
1: I am a generalist, but I specialize in kids and couples work. I've um, written some books on those on those topics.
0: And when we're talking um, to someone such as yourself, you're dealing, as you said, kids, couples, but. Sp- uh, and it's nothing specific with each, is it? Or is it just an overview of
1: mental health issues? What, whatever concerns people come in with, you know, de- depression, which I know we're going to be talking about now, uh, super common, anxiety, super common. Sometimes people come in because they're just more conflict in their marriage or their relationship than they care for or their kid is getting into trouble you know, at school or in other places, and they want help in understanding that, correcting that. You must have, since you have been doing this for, you started
0: when you were a mere child, actually, <laughs> and you've been doing this for so long, <laughs> but you must have seen a shift because now we're, you know, you talk about kids, so much more violence in schools, so much more fear, the opioid crisis, we're getting a higher number of suicides. Any explanation? From your point of view,
1: oh, that's a uh, that's probably one of the we scientists would say multifactorial, you know, in its causes. But uh, you've named some of the probably the low hanging fruit on the on the tree of causes. Um, I think there's less and less face to face relationship time. I think uh, one of my favorite books for lay people on depression is called Lost Connections, and the author makes a great point that just that time for relating to each other without being plugged into technology seems to shrink for a variety of reasons, some economic, some just by way of uh, choice, but that human connection time, that one-on-one time seems to shrink. One of the things I do with every single child or teen client in my practice is arrange for parents to spend one hour a week one-on-one with their kid doing nothing but uh, paying attention and enjoying the child or teen. And about 90% of parents will initially react like, well, this is no big thing, this is easy to do. And just about, it flips about 90% later, will then talk about how grillingly difficult it is to pull off on a consistent basis.
0: When you're talking in that regard too, is it becoming more and more evident that people are going in that direction, maybe because it's easier? that we don't have to have face-to-face contact anymore. We don't have to deal with all of the things that maybe even 10, 15 years ago we dealt with face-to-face and we got through them. Now it's almost like we're brushing them under the rug.
1: Well, I, it, takes, it seems like it takes people more time to get their stuff done. You know, The stuff we have to get done, whether it's a teen in high school trying to get into that quote-unquote good college, or uh, just being working parents trying to manage a middle-class lifestyle you know it seems to take more time and we tell ourselves that the time we'll give to our relationships is the time that remains after our obligations have been met but in most families that time is as mythical as the unicorn Mm -hmm. and so just like cars will have indicator lights that go off or our teeth will have indicator lights when we're not don't maintain them while our relationships do too but we don't recognize the cause. We blame the other person. So we go to an affair or go to an online, free online sex chat room. Or, I mean, what, it's, it's staggering to me the number of memberships of websites that are designed for married people to hook up or mm. have affairs or for people to have other kinds of self-numbing activity that they do. And I, at least I think a lot of it has to do with this shrinking time and not being wise. My my clients who do well and I try to do this in my own life, it becomes what important things aren't going to get done this week, but on that list is not going to be the time with my kid or the time with my spouse if I'm if I'm married. That time is def that's gonna be front loaded into the week. And also then time for self care hmm. you know, and self love. It's it's ironic that we live in a culture of, of self entitlement and narcissism, but people really treat themselves very poorly. And are, are very mean to themselves. Um, none of us would treat a friend the way we treat ourselves, both verbally and behaviorally. Oh, we'd talk about them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> we mm-hmm. definitely
0: talk mm-hmm, about them. Mm-hmm. So what comes first, the chicken or the egg, the depression
1: or the situation? Well, um, that's a good question. It's it's actually both. We don't think any nature versus nurture and science. It's always the two together. So there's, there's a, a biological component that gets passed from um, by genes, you know, in families. We know that when you depression runs in your family, you have a higher risk of suffering from it, but then stress activates that vulnerability. Of course, sometimes the stress can be so mighty, um, and, with, and a person might come into a depression even though it doesn't run in their family. It's usually some admixture of the two, genetic vulnerability and stress, but it can sometimes be you know, just really heavy on one side versus the other.
0: And is that kind of what you mean when you say we're bringing it on ourselves? Because, again, we don't take care of ourselves, so it's almost everything's always going out, 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 but nothing comes back in
1: from, from ourself to ourself. Self-care is huge. Um, there's a, a little online checklist people can take if they're wondering about that by Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F. And if you just Google her name and self-compassion, there's a free inventory. I have my students take it for extra credit. And a lot of them are surprised at how their score comes back that they're low on self-compassion. And we we do seem to have a cultural epidemic with that.
0: So as we're talking and we're getting more and more into the depression aspect of it, uh, it's it's such a casually tossed around word. I'm depressed today because my team didn't win. I'm depressed because my favorite coffee wasn't available. That's not exactly, though, what you're talking about when you're talking about depression. So what exactly does depression mean?
1: So, right. We all can have down days, a case of the blues, um, but that isn't depression. Depression is a list of symptoms that persist for at least a few weeks in a person's life. Um, None of these, you can have depression and not have all these symptoms, but some of the common ones we call vegetative symptoms where sleep, appetite, libido, concentration are all impaired. And sometimes the sleep can be oversleeping or undersleeping, but the body is uh, shutting down in these ways, um, and the person can't function because of these uh, ways the body's attacked. Of course, the mood is terrible, and it can be expressed by chronic irritability as well. But um, just feeling, the the thoughts that are often in a person's head is, everything sucks, it's my fault, and it can't be changed. You know, that the the way a person thinks, the way the oppression attacks the person, it gets them to think these untrue things. Um, Not taking pleasure from things that historically have been pleasurable, we call that anhedonia. Um, just the absence of joy, the ability to experience joy. Of course, suicidal ideation, thinking about suicide. Here in Pennsylvania, the CDC did a study, and in uh, 2016, the state experienced an uh, increase of over a third of suicide, um, suicidality in our state. And it's the second leading cause of death from ages 15 to 24. It used to be the third leading cause when I was in graduate school, but now it's. Uh, hopped over, to the, sapped up to the 2nd leading cause. Heck, Paul, we have 16 million adults a year suffering from depression. A large, large majority of them don't get any kind of care for it, or the care they, they get is not optimized at all. Um, and it's, depression's the number one cause of disability across the world.
0: So then what happens when someone says, okay, I feel like I'm depressed, and you go to a physician, And is it still true that your primary care physician should be saying, have you felt depressed? Have you, like, that used to be the up and coming thing. Ooh, we're going to ask a question and hope we get an honest answer. And then you've got medicine involved.
1: So the first part about the screening, I find it varies a lot. Uh, The physicians that I think are, are most on their game are more progressive, do that routinely. And... I think there's other physicians that are afraid to do it because then they think, if it comes back positive now, what do I do? Mm-hmm. They don't believe they have the referral places to send people to, or they just don't understand the process and it scares them, and so they stay away from it. Uh, but I think you're, you're on top of it. Progressive physicians do screen. Um, uh, regarding, what was the second part? I'm so sorry. As far as getting into meds. All right. So anybody who's taking medicine for mood or anxiety, and that's all they've tried, I would strongly suggest considering cognitive behavioral therapy. Which is? Cognitive behavioral therapy is the number one science-based talking treatment for correcting problems with mood and anxiety, and actually stress and anger, too, it can be helpful with. Now, talking. See, most people don't know about cognitive behavioral therapy because there's no industry Funding commercials. There's no industry pushing a product. Cognitive behavioral therapy, though, if if folks just go to Google Scholar, it's a subset of Google where they the search engine search scientific articles, and just enter the terms cognitive behavioral therapy depression. If you have a you know if you can understand some basic terms in science, you can see the overwhelming evidence that shows how uh, helpful cognitive behavioral therapy can be, and for many people making it not necessary to take medicine, or many other people never necessary to start taking medicine. Now that's not a statement to say people should, I mean, I'm not a physician, I would never even, even my own client who I knew very well, suggest that someone stop taking a medicine. But it is to say that CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, ought to be a part of the discussion whenever someone's being treated for mood or anxiety. And so often it isn't, either because the person the expert doesn't know about it themselves, um, or because of cost concerns, or who knows why. It's it's easier to to write a prescription than to explain what CBT may be, and time is short. I mean, I don't know the reasons for it, but it's striking to me how many people taking medicine for these things don't even know the term.
0: Now don't go away. We'll have more with Dr. David Palmiter when our discussion continues on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. We're now continuing our discussion with Dr. David Palmiter. He is a psychologist as well as being a professor in psychology at Marywood University. Dr. Palmiter has been talking about depression and some of the things that can be used in order to help those who may seek treatment. We're talking with uh, Dr. David Palmeter, who is a psychologist and also a professor at Marywood University. And along those lines, then, Dr. Palmeter, switching that, I am the patient, and you're suggesting that I go talk to someone. I don't want anyone to know about this. I don't want to have to talk about this. I might have to tell the truth, as we talked about earlier in our discussion, where there is no truth telling face to face anymore. Everything is texting, Facebooking, emailing.
1: Well, I, I think it, at the core of that concern about stigma is this problem we have, this this use of the word normal. And if I was emperor of the universe, we'd abolish it. Normal is based on what's normative, and we assume that if something's normative, it must be well and healthy. And And asking how common is something is an important question. But the answer to that question stops way short of deciding whether or not someone is well or not. Mental health is not like pregnancy where you are or you aren't. And that's what the word normal suggests. And who wants to be in the abnormal basket? I know I wouldn't. There's words we think of those people. I mean, weak, complaining, self-indulgent, you know, get over your mommy and daddy issues, will you please walk it off, be tough, you know, all the, keep, suck it up. Be be the Marlboro right. man kind of especially for men. <laughs> Um, so, but none of that has anything to do with reality. The reality is that wellness exists on a continuum, and multiple continuums. We have our physical wellness, we have our relationship wellness, we have our vocational wellness, and there's we, for those who believe in a higher power, spiritual wellness, and of course, we have our mental health wellness, which has several subsections. It's our mood, it's our ability to experience joy and meaning, it's our ability to do things when we don't feel like it. And all these things exist on a continuum. And for given phases of our life, some continuums may be rocking it. You know, they're doing really well and, uh, and others aren't. But I would suggest that we all treat our mental health the way we do our physical things. You know, if our car is, is making noises that are mysterious to us and interfere with its functioning, we take it to an expert. Duh, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we do. It's the same thing if our teeth start to ache. Uh, We don't even think about, oh, people think I'm weak if I go and get my teeth examined. I mean, we just don't even go there in our thinking. But because we have this unfortunate way of thinking about normal and abnormal, which has nothing to do with reality, we don't get the help we need. And most people who could benefit from mental health uh, care don't get it for that reason.
0: Let's shift gears just a tad and continue with depression, but situational depression. Mm-hmm. where you have a major upheaval, mm-hmm. death in the family, yes. you're dealing with an illness, You're whether it's your own or family, yes. loved one. Yes. Uh, what? How do you approach that then? Because you kind of know, okay, I'm going through this. I know I have to go through this. So
1: I don't need anybody. So this is a very important question for those who have experienced the loss, the difference between grief and complicated grief and the difference between grief and depression. So grief is not depression. I mean, even though people can um, be very sad and very down and have a number of the symptoms I just mentioned, grief is a natural process of losing someone who we love. And it and it and it, it, it's one place where the statement um, times a healer is true. And so if over, let's say, a significant loss, um, you know, a person has a family member die, not a child, that's a different ca- category, I'll maybe comment on if you want, but um, it's gonna take that year, you know, and uh, that first year of anniversaries of everything, the changes of the season, all the holidays we did, it takes that year of dealing with that pain, and then the second year it gets easier. And usually by the third year, someone's feeling like, hey, I'm totally, I'm back to where I was, yeah, I'll, I always still miss the person, So that is a natural process. When that gets stuck, when people make some mistakes, like trying to medicate it with alcohol or drugs or gambling or promiscuity or any other kind of behavioral medications that we deploy, they try to medicate it too much, then they get stuck. And then they can develop complicated grief where time does not heal, time stops. And that's the point where where clinical intervention, cognitive behavioral therapy with a special focus for grieving is indicated. I, um a year or so ago, I spent a year serving the Navy SEAL community, mm. Gold Star parents. Um, and some of them, you could see, as I got to know them, some of them were doing awesome, you know, and they were actually become very wise, and their pain had indeed uh, ended up being a source of wisdom for them, and they were able to help others, and then others were stuck, and you could just see they were just stuck in time. Uh, the pain was as fresh as it was on the first day. Because of some of the mistakes that they were making, and how they were dealing with their grief,
0: and does that also have a possibility that it could mean PTSD? Because when you're talking gold star parents, when you're talking someone who loses someone in an accident, a violent act, um, you know, it's it's not. I guess it's it's never easier, but it's a lot different than someone who you know is coming to the end of the term of life.
1: Yeah, PTSD is
0: uh, just fractures
1: of personality. Your basic assumptions about the universe have gone out the window, and you just can't function, uh, especially around anything that might remind you of the trauma. And that's another thing where time just stops. And it's another very treatable, especially if the PTSD is due to a single event. We kind of separate PTSD out into single event versus multiple event traumas. You know, someone had someone die next to them in a car crash. That would be single event, and versus, I grew up with a stepfather who sexually molested me over time. That's a more complicated type of PTSD. The single event PTSD is highly treatable, highly treatable, and it's a version of cognitive behavioral therapy called trauma focused. So it's CBT-TF, trauma focused, very treatable, and the repeated event trauma. It's often very treatable, too. It just takes longer. It's more complicated. There, there can be more co-occurring problems to be dealt with.
0: Do you think that there's also the whole thought of, of people nowadays, too, expecting everything to happen now? So this has happened. It was, it's, it's been two months. I should be this way. I should be that way. People telling you, again, we go back to the whole depression discussion that we had, as far as suck it up, you should be better than this now. I mean, we've kind of lost the time when we have to heal because we don't remember what it was like to learn how to walk and how many times we fell down and had to get back up again.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, any any, uh, transformative change, of course, takes some effort. On the one side. On the other side, I think people have a right to hold their treatment providers accountable. One of the things I do is form... um, Treatment plans. When I'm working with people, that include measurable changes that should occur, and if we're not seeing progress towards those changes, then that suggests the approach is indicate isn't isn't good. I mean, there are. I think sometimes there can be therapies that um, could possibly be curative, but end up just being a support, just up being a an, an intelligent, kind person in my life without me necessarily getting better. And there are instances where that's indicated. We call it supportive psychotherapy. But I think a lot of times people are in treatment have a right to expect transformative change and to have that be measurable and in a, in a time frame that, that they can uh, see it. One of the, That's one of the discussions I have with my clients who are on treatment is what kind of prognosis, what kind of rate of change might we expect. And it usually takes only a few visits to be able to get some kind of a feel for that.
0: And if uh, anyone is listening and they would like to get some more information. You mentioned that you've written several books. Do you have your books as well as other places? Um, You mentioned Google Scholar to find out some of the
1: different things. Sure, I can give you a few things. Well, first of all, there's a a clinic at Marywood for folks who are concerned about the costs of treatment of the Psychological Services Center. I think I was talking with the director there, Dr. Matthew Schaefer. I think they said the average fee is like five to $10 a visit. And that number is 570-348-6269. Uh, one of my books is a parenting book on how to promote resilience in kids ages four to 12, what parents can do uh, and it, to maximize their kids' adjustment their kids' mental health. And that's called uh, Working Parents, Thriving Families. Um, and then the, the other book I've written is for mental health professionals. I think for depression, my, one of my favorite books for lay people is called Lost Connections. It's a it's a bestseller, and and the and the author is hammering away at this misconception that we have that depression is due to a chemical imbalance in the brain. Um, there really isn't any credible evidence for that assertion, This as common as it's believed in our culture. Um, in terms of uh, a book, a good book for producing happiness, uh, meaning, and joy in a person's life, I love uh, the How of Happiness by Sonia Luya Bemirsky. That's a great book, but Folks who wanted other specific recommendations could feel free to email me. You know, I have uh, a lot of uh, self-help books that I have in mind on my bookshelf that I refer people to given their specific needs. Um, and it's just my last name, Palmiter at Marywood.edu.
0: Again, that was Dr. David Palmer, a psychologist as well as a professor of psychology at Marywood University, Palmiter, P-A-L-M-I-T-E-R dot E-D-U is his email address if you would like to ask more questions. You can also contact Dr. Palmiter or anyone on the campus of Marywood University that he mentioned by checking out their website. Remember, the first way in order to get help is to make a phone call or a contact. Remember, if you have something you would like to hear discussed here on Special Edition, or perhaps you know someone who has something that they would like to share with our listening audience, you can send me an email. It's preynolds at intercom dot com. That's preynolds at intercom, E-N-T-E-R-C-O-M dot
1: Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications.
0: His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt, Hi-ya! and even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician.